0: It's very nice to be here this morning, and I think science and technology is wonderful. Does that work? Yes, it does. Uh, it's great to be here. I brought a friend with you this morning. I brought my five-year-old daughter, Lauren. Me, would you welcome Lauren? Hi, Lauren. Hi. I was not impressed. Uh, she's not feeling well today, but also i like to take kids with me when I talk, because if someone's unkind or rude, I can always say, please, please, there are children present. And it kind of settles them down a bit. So let's turn in our Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 3. I won't read the whole section because it's very long, but I will read a few parts. Acts chapter 3. We'll start at verse 1. If you want to break out in the song, silver and gold, feel free to do so. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You hand him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you you killed the author of life the God raised him from the dead we are witnesses of this by faith in the name of Jesus this man whom you see and know was made strong it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold to all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. In the first verses of chapter 4, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed and the number grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there and so were Caiaphas, John and Alexander never the other men of the high priest's family. Then Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but in God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Let me pray, and we'll look at this passage. And thank you, Heavenly Father, for coming to us in the Lord Jesus. Uh, for the one who brings uh, power to heal and power to save. And we thank you, uh, Father, for showing us Jesus and that by his power our lives have been transformed. We pray now you'll help us to understand this part of your word, to be encouraged in our own witness and life for you, that we might be bold to proclaim him the Saviour of the world. Amen. Uh, last week or the week before, I gather there was a debate at St Thomas's, North Sydney between uh, Peter Fitzsimons, the well-known sports writer, and Dr. Barry Newman. Uh, Peter is, I guess, an avowed and vocal atheist, and Barry, of course, is a Christian. And they had the debate, and then uh, in the weekend paper, Fitzsimons thought he'd have the last word, and wrote a little article. And when she said these words, My eloquent and likable opponent in the debate, a scientist by the name of Barry Newman, Counted that while he respected all the other religions and meant then absolutely no disrespect there was only one true religion Christianity and that the gates of heaven were only open to Christians you either embraced the Lord or you didn't and if you didn't you needn't even ring the bell well I doubt they are exactly Barry's words that's probably his spin on what Barry said um, but I think for most evangelical Christians that's basically what we believe isn't it? that Jesus is the saviour of the world and that unless you're related to him that's it that your eternity depends on your relationship to Jesus and I think in our talking to people who aren't Christians that's the thing above all else that sticks in their throats that's their big question they might have questions about why does your loving God allow suffering that still comes up and that's a toughie A few might have questions about how do you know your God exists. I think nowadays most folk are spiritual and believe in the otherworldly. That's not such a big one nowadays. But this one, I think, really gets up people's goats. That you guys think you're right and everybody else is wrong. And that just nowadays just seems so bigoted and narrow minded and in particular so intolerant. And I think if there's one virtue today which is seen as positively Australian, it is tolerance. To be Aussie is to be intolerant. Uh, to, be, to be intolerant is to be really un-Australian. Especially we live in a, in a country which is so multicultural. We're folk of so many different faiths and beliefs. To say yours is right and theirs is wrong just seems to be so intolerant. And it really annoys people and angers people. Though, of course, the word tolerance has changed its meaning over the years, you may have noticed. Tolerant used to mean put up with something you don't agree with or, or like. To bear with, to suffer. Uh, my wife tolerates the fact that I watch Friday night footy. I think it's terrific. I love Fatty and still. I, I think it's a great way to spend Friday night. She tolerates it. She, she thinks you know, like you're about 12 to, to enjoy that sort of thing. She hates it. But she loves me, so she tolerates it. That's what the was used to mean. You put out something you didn't like. Now it means, I see what you believe, what you do, is right for you. It wouldn't be right for me. It's not my thing. But I see it's right for you. I see because of your background, your family, your culture, that for you, Buddhism is right. That's not me, my, my mind is Christianity, but for you that's right. That's now tolerant To say, nowadays, Buddhism is wrong, it's idolatry, it's not true, though I respect your right to practice it, that's sin is intolerant. That's the new tolerance. And I think of all folk who are seen in our world today as being intolerant, you and I are near the top of the list because we say Jesus is the only way and I think it's getting harder and harder to say in, in, in Sydney, on the campus because even look around this morning the folk in all different cultures walk around the campus, all different cultures you get to know these people and by God they're very nice maybe 50 years ago you could describe the people out there in Africa or wherever as heathens and pagans stooped in darkness eating one another nowadays they're, they're beside you the lecture hall they're lovely, they're kind, they're devout, they're sincere they're more devout than some of us I remember once a minister saying to me, an English minister like you can't tell me that this man who warms my pew one hour a week is going to heaven and that Muslim who's given his life for his God is going to hell how can you say that? how often do you pray a day? let me make it more comfortable how often do you pray a week? if you're a fair a Muslim you pray five times a day and you fast one month a year and you spend your life savings and going on pilgrimage and you give to the poor and you'll die for your faith and we say they're wrong and not going to heaven and we who pray twice a week go to church if it's not cricket on or whatever we'll go to heaven it's getting harder to say and on top of that I think the whole air we breathe theologically is changing the songs we sing week by week on Sundays are about how God is loving and compassionate and faithful. His arms of love embrace us. The power of his love is all around us. He's a loving, warm, great God who sends people to hell who don't agree with him. Ooh. They'd be saying about a God of holiness and wrath, perhaps an anger, but, well, but that's not the God we sing about. And sin nowadays is as simple as it used to be. Here are some words from the great theologian of the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards. In a sermon, he describes sin like this. If every sin, therefore, though comparatively small, everyone deserves eternal death and destruction, how dreadful, then, is the deserved punishment of wicked men whose hearts are full of sin, full of inveterate, implacable enmity to God and all that is good, and set upon all manner of evil whose very natures are full of sin as a viper is full of poison and who have lived all their days in sinful practices who have committed sin continually as constantly as they've rose or lay down or eat or drink yea, from whom sin has flowed continually as water from a spring that was Edwards 200 years ago here's a guy called Clark Finnock, 10 years ago on sin. He's a modern theologian, evangelical. Breaking rules is wrong. But breaking relationship is worse. Because God is love, sin should be understood essentially as a refusal of love. Made for relationship, humans have the ability to accept or refuse that. The meaning of the fall into sin that instead of trusting God and finding in Him security, the couple try to find it in themselves. Sin was once implacable, inveterate, deliberate enmity, anger to God. If that's what sin is, then God's response must be wrong. If sin is a refusal of God's hands reaching out to love and embrace, then the response would be, not wrath, I guess, but perhaps pity or compassion, heartbreak. So we live in a world where all around us are impressive, sincere folk of other faiths, in a world where the air we breathe theologically is changing. I think for you and for me, it's harder and harder and harder to say, no other name. Well, let's see if we can say that in the light of this passage from the Bible. So, well-known story, Uh, the Acts of the Apostles is, as you know, volume two of Luke's work. Volume one describes all that Jesus did on earth. Volume two, all he did from heaven through the apostles. It's still him working, but this time through the apostles. It begins with the amazing uh, beginning of the church. Pentecost, the Spirit comes, signs and wonders, people share their things together, live together, and then they go day by day to the temple to pray and to preach. This all takes place at three in the afternoon, a very busy time at the temple. Crowds are there, the place is packed with people. If God wants to get attention with a miracle, this is the time and place to do it. The temple at three in the afternoon. And here we meet a lame man. And as Luke always tells us, he drives home how hopeless this man's condition is. This guy didn't fall off his chariot and break his leg. This guy is congenitally lame. He's never walked a day in his life. Have you seen folk like that? Can you see their legs? Like thin reeds. Muscles never formed. Never moved an inch with his legs all his life. And his family or friends bring him here outside the temple gate every day to beg. They put him there because being a cripple, he can't go inside the temple. He's unclean. He's impure. He can't go inside the temple. So he stays outside. But more than that, that's a great place to beg. If you're a busker, where do you busk? In some quiet street, out of out of view. No, you busk on the corner of George Street and Bathurst Street. You busk where the crowds are. If you're a beggar, you beg where the crowds are. I was in uh, Kyrgyzstan last year in the capital Bishkek, and there's a big one big shopping centre there for the tourists. Outside to the front door was a beggar, a young boy with his mum. He had hydrocephalitis. That's a huge head on a tiny body. 12 years old, I get 10, 12 years old, he'd be dead by the time he's 15. He's begging. That's the place to beg, where the tourists go. I worked in Pakistan, you see them there in Pakistan. They're twisted, deformed limbs, often deliberately deformed by their parents at birth, so they can have a career in begging. And there they sit, in, the, in, the, in the, the public places, day by day by day, to get money. And that's where this guy sits. There is every day, an the endless litany, arms, arms, arms for the poor, as the crowds go by. This day in the crowd, there are two men. He wouldn't give them a second look, except this, these two men stop and look at him. And now his hopes are up. Mind you, their appearance would inspire confidence, I wouldn't have thought. They wouldn't be wearing their Armani suits. More like something from Target or, or Lowe's, probably, but they looked like what they were I think just Galilean fishermen rustic backwoodsmen but still they stopped they looked, and they said to him look at us look at us it looks like they're going to give him something and then what appears to be the cruel twist twisted knife hey look at us empty we've got nothing got do, hang on guys what, is this some kind of Galilean joke you think it's funny to mock, to mock a cripple you find some twisted humour in this well their next words would have thrilled him we don't have any money we'll give you what we've got you stand and walk the story told that Pope Innocent II one day was counting his money and in walked the great theologian Thomas Aquinas and the Pope said look Thomas the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none true holy father said Thomas and neither can she say arise and walk but on that day, the church gave this man what they had, the power to walk. And picture the scene if you can, as the man, the first time in his life, feels power surge through his legs. Joints articulate, muscles harden, and with the help of Peter and John, the man stands up. Now can you imagine it? The man in his own strength is standing. He's thinking... If I can stand, I can walk. And if I can walk, I can run. And if I can run, I can leap. And there he is, the first time in his life, running and, and leaping, as before the eyes of all the people, the words of Isaiah are fulfilled. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those of a fearful God, a fearful heart, strong and do not fear, here is your God, he will come and save you. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. When God comes in salvation, you know the day is here, because the lame will leap like a deer. This is the day of salvation. And the word spreads like wildfire for the whole crowd, and Luke describes the whole thing as, the Greek word is extesios. Ecstasy, excitement permeates the whole crowd as they see before their eyes proof that salvation is here. That's the mighty work. So the word spreads, the crowds gather naturally, as you'd gather if you'd heard the guy outside who's never walked before running around, you go and have a look see. And the crowds gather and they're confused. What's going on here? It's like a Pentecost. Here are these barely literate fishermen speaking other languages. Are they drunk? Are they high? What's going on? Same here. Here's a guy doing this thing. Are these guys, are these David Copperfield, are these guys wonder workers, sorcerers, magicians? What's going on here? So as of Pentecost, yet again, Peter speaks to explain what's going on. And his words here are very blunt. Very blunt. I'll tell you what's going on here, guys. What's going on here is Jesus. God's servant. The one, as I said, God was glorified, but the one, as I said, would suffer God glorified Jesus but first of all Jesus suffered at your hands at your hands even Pilate that moral pygmy would have let him go but not you you killed him but the damning accusation you killed the author of life you killed life but what you killed God raised up and in that man's name and by that man's power what you see before you is happening so here's a man who couldn't walk he, he spent all his days outside the temple which as you know the temple was a symbol of God's presence that's where God lived If you want to meet God go inside the temple this guy in his life had never met God he couldn't meet God he's outside the temple he's cut off from God's presence once he walks where's the first place he goes inside the temple into the temple courts for the first time in his life to meet God to come into the presence of God. He's been given the power to walk, but much more than that, he's been given the power to come into God's presence. Because all Jesus' miracles are really active parables. Like this one. So for example, Jesus heals a blind man and then says what? I am the light of the world. What I've done for this guy physically, I want to do for you all spiritually because you're blind to heal a, a, a dead man then says I am the resurrection and the life what I've done for him physically I want to do for you spiritually I want to make you alive to God forever he's a man who's lame he can't walk he can't come into God's presence what I've done for him physically I want to do for you spiritually I want to bring all of you into the presence of God I want to give you the power to walk and to run into the very throne room of God that's salvation what we have here is an acted parable, a little charade, a drama, a skit of salvation. So he calls the people to repent. And it's all by the power of Jesus. All through faith in his name. And only through faith in his name. If Peter and John hadn't come along that day, that man would stay outside the temple courts a cripple. Because they came along and spoke to him, and he had faith he could walk. Now that idea, today, is unpopular. A fellow called John Sanders, who's an evangelical, tells a story of a time he was on a lake with some friends and a big storm blew up. And they rode to shore to find shelter from the storm. It happened that nearby was a cabin. They didn't know who owned the cabin, who built the cabin. They couldn't run away inside the cabin. But the storm was ferocious. They were in danger, and around the cabin were porches. And they found shelter from the storm under the porches. They couldn't go inside the cabin, never knew who owned the cabin, but found shelter from the storm under the porches. There is coming in this world the great storm of judgment. But God has given to people a shelter. Now most folks don't know who built the shelter. name of the owner. But they find in their own faith, in Islam, in Hinduism, in Buddhism, shelter in the porch. On the last day they find out the owner was Jesus. On that day, in the meantime, they find shelter from the coming storm under the porch of their own faith. Is that what Peter's affirming here? Well, it was inevitable from the moment uh, the church began that the authorities would strike back they arrest Peter and John keep them overnight and the next day put them on trial there they are the Sanhedrin keep in mind the very same guys that weeks before had put on trial another man and had killed him now in his place stand Peter and John and there's Amos the same guys watching them and they said to these guys by what authority do you do, you do these things who gave you the power to do this why do you call this, call this ruckus in the temple? By what right? So Peter stands up to speak. Now I think if ever was a moment for Peter to be sensitive in what he says, cautious, diplomatic, respectful, this is it. These are the guys who killed Jesus. Peter, Mr. Tact, Peter, be sensitive. The story told of another man called Peter Peter Cartwright who was a Methodist lay preacher of the 19th century in America he traveled around on horseback and preached in various churches known to be a man who would speak his mind and call a spade a spade and a few other things too preaching in church one day they heard that morning that the president Andrew Jackson was about to be there he was down to preach the elder full of aside, and said Peter look, we just heard uh, the president's about to be here could you please just, just mind what you say just be careful Sir Cartwright got up to preach. He said, I have been informed that President Jackson is here this morning. And I've been encouraged to be mindful about what I say. President Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. As he began the sermon, (laughs) President Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. At the end of the sermon Jackson walked up to him said to him good man if I had a hundred men like you I could whip the world I think Carter's inspiration for his preaching was probably Peter you guys want to know the name How would I do this the authority the name Jesus ring a bell guys remember him he's the one you killed the God raised from the dead you guys are given the job to build the house of the people of God. You just destroyed the capstone. You just dis- you crushed the mainstone of the building. Well done, guys. But by that name, this man's healed. Indeed, there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Only that name. There's a joke that Jewish people tell, which goes like this. A Jewish family became Christians through the ministry of a Catholic priest. And he baptised them. And as he baptised them, he got some water, and he sprinkled water on them. Like that. (laughs) And he said as he sprinkled it, you're not a Jew, you're a Christian. You're not a Jew, you're a Christian. But sometime later, he got word from another parishioner that they had deceived him. They were still Jews and became Christians just to get the money from the church. He was furious. So he went round to their house on Sabbath evening, Friday evening to peek through the window to see what they were doing. And there they were having a Sabbath meal of chicken. Well, he stormed in, angry, accused them of deception and deceit and lying. And they said, what do you mean, what do you mean? What well, is he said, you're eating chicken and you know we Catholics eat fish on Friday. And the father said, this is, this is fish. It's not fish, it's chicken. No, it's the Jew. It's fish. Look to the Catholic. I know fish when I see it. And that is chicken. And the Jew said, look, 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 Father. I admit, when I bought it this morning, it was chicken. But I took it home. I took a one. And I said, you've got a chicken. You are a fish. You've got a chicken. <laughs> Jews don't tell a story really to be funny. They tell a story to show how absurd it is that someone who is a Jew can become a Christian. But is that absurd? If you read books by Jews about Christian evangelists, their anger and hatred at those who evangelize Jews is profound. They call it the spiritual holocaust. That's a very emotive word. In the holocaust, Hitler swore to eradicate from the face of the world all Jews and remove one-third in the final solution. They say, what's your perfect world, Christians? Isn't your perfect world a world without Jews? Wouldn't you love every Jew to be a Christian? Isn't that your goal? Isn't that your final solution? Isn't that your spiritual holocaust? One Jewish woman writes this. To lose one teenager or one Russian Jewish immigrant family after what it has taken for one Jew to make it to the end of the 20th century is sad enough to have them pried away through mission is an act of spiritual rape and she begs with us not to do it now why would you do it? after all they've suffered over the last especially the last 100 years even 2000 years why would you do it? why would you share your faith with the Jew? And rape them like that. I was talking some years ago to a Muslim, a wealthy young Muslim man owned a business in Pakistan about my faith, we are talking about Islam and Christianity. And as we thought together, I looked at him and thought, if you become a Christian, this will destroy your life. You'll lose your business. If anyone will kick you out, they may even kill you you'll lose your, your job prospects your marriage prospects you'll suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer it'll bring into your life untold suffering and misery if you convert so why would you do it? when, when Jews plead with us not to when you know the cost for Muslims and another for, why would you do it? I can think of no other reason but this that there is no other name under heaven given to people by which they must be saved. And so they saying that they believe in God. The only God there is, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Believe in God, believe also in me. You can't divide God from Jesus. When you meet God, the true God, you meet Jesus. When people meet the Spirit, they meet the spirit of Jesus God is triune and cannot be divided there's only one God he's known to us in Jesus and that God saves he saves Father, Son and Spirit through Jesus and there is no other name under heaven given to people by which you must be saved if Peter and John haven't gone to that man that day you would have stayed lame and outside the temple there is no other name let's pray thank you Father for coming to us in the Lord Jesus who is the saviour of the world not just of people of one culture or country but of every tribe race and tongue thank you he is Lord of lords and king of kings He's unlike any other Thank you. He is a divine, supreme, the ruler of the ages, and thank you that in Him is found our salvation. Please, Father, keep us uh, bold and confident in proclaiming this, and give us the desire to share with those around us, of whatever background or whatever faith, the One who can redeem them from the wrath to come. In whose name we pray. Amen.